I'm Brian Barnett. I'm just a regular guy. I'm not a doctor. I have no legal license in any field of psychology. But I did live a large part of my life with borderline personality disorder unknowingly. And I really did rid myself of the disorder completely and permanently. Through that, I've become an expert on issues involving emotional health. I accept no responsibility whatsoever for your feelings, thoughts, behaviors, decisions, and actions, including your decision to watch or listen to this show at all. But I do hope you might benefit yourself from the insights I share. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of The Last Symptom. Thank you for joining us this here, uh, here this week. Really happy to have you. If you are a new uh, viewer or a new listener, very uh, happy to have you here. I hope you'll stick around. You know, I'll say some things that, uh, oh, you might say, well, that's not my understanding of the thing. And uh, there might be other things you say, well, that's just uh, outrageous. Outrageous what he just said. But if you uh, flee without getting context of the larger body of my work, you might be missing out on some really tremendous insights. You know, uh, things that are of very high value are that way because very few people have discovered them. Because lots of people, most people, think uh, and understand things one way, and then there's this group of people who understand things in a, in a much more accurate and uh, cohesive way. So um, I believe my work is representative of that. Uh, the folks who are loyal to my work would say the same thing, I'm sure. So don't cheat yourself by going, wow, just what he just said makes no sense. I know better. Other voices of authority say different, and so there's nothing to it. Um, what I would recommend is that you try to understand why I, I profess what I do, uh, then you might be surprised. You might say, well, oh my gosh, this guy knows some things that lots of other people don't. I'll tell you why. Because I lived, well, as you heard in the introduction, uh, I lived with, with borderline personality disorder, which is an emotional disorder. It's not a personality disorder. It's not a mental illness. Uh, it's a emotional disorder. I lived with it uh, unaware for the first 35 years of my life, at least. And then I authentically rid myself of that disorder. Now, how did I do that? I did it with a lot of hard work and with a lot of investigation, a lot of you know putting puzzle pieces together, and a lot of discrediting of the common explanations and understandings of these things. Otherwise, I wouldn't be where I'm at. Think about it. it if all the information out there 
the voices of authority, if they know what they're talking about, if they're explaining the thing right, if they know it insightfully and truthfully, then lots of other people should be sitting here in my place, shouldn't they? But they're not. What should that tell you? It should tell you that I figured out some things that other people are overlooking or um, devaluing. Right? So I, I share the insights that I gained from that. Now, the show is designed for, peop- for anybody with an emotional disorder, not just folks with borderline personality disorder. I don't believe that I have emphasized that point enough over the years. So let me really emphasize it here for you this week. Emotional disorders are all rooted in the same thing. What does that mean? It means it doesn't matter if you have borderline personality disorder or narcissistic personality disorder or you're bipolar or you're any of these things that are rooted in emotional issues. If if what you're dealing with or somebody you know is dealing with is rooted in emotional issues, then the last symptom is the place you need to be. To get us started, let me bring up some controversy. You know, a lot of us are reading these books now on um, electronic devices, right? Our iPads, our Nooks, our what's Amazon got? Amazon's got a Kindle, right? We read books on our phones, and one of the really neat features in today's modern book reading is that if you so choose you can select an option that will allow you to see which passages have been highlighted by the most number of people and I'll tell you what that's really nifty that is a really nifty feature but not for the reasons you think The real benefit of seeing which portions of a book are the most highlighted is so that you know the portions that are the least important. And which portions are those? They're the portions that are the most highlighted. Why do I say that? The reason I say that is because the most people never pick up on the most important of anything. That's right. The most people never pick up on the most important or the most valuable, the truly most insightful of anything. To highlight this, <clears throat> I'd recommend you look up any uh, book list, the best-selling books of uh, that is happening right now. So whatever the best-selling books are right now, you look those lists up. You see how many of those books are valuable to you, or how many of the, let's put it this way: how many of those books are valuable to real life? truly offer valuable insight 
to the important things in life. You won't find it on those book lists. Do you know why? Because they're all these romantic novels. They're all romantic novels that just entertain and and satisfy uh, enjoyment for fantasy. That's what that's what the books that that's what most populates the best-selling book lists. So there's a real-life example. The most people never pick up on the most important of anything. Um, have you looked at the 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 best-selling songs of our day? I don't know how it works anymore. It's probably the most downloaded songs of the of the day or the most downloaded songs of the week. Uh, do that. Go through, sample the top 100 most popular songs of the day or of the week or of the month. Listen to the lyrics. See what's in there of value to you. And then come back to me and tell me, Mr. Barnett, here's what I found that was so insightful in the top 100 list of the most popular songs being listened to this week or today. And I will give you something, I'll, I'll give you insights that um, eclipse that on a large, large scale. Why? Because the most people choosing things never pick up on the most important of anything. In fact, if I'm inclined to highlight some portion of a book that I'm reading, and I see that it's already been highlighted by thousands of other people, I say, Barnett, you can do better. You can do better. There's nothing there for you. There's nothing. If 20,000 people have highlighted that section of that book, that's low-hanging fruit. That is low-hanging fruit. Um, whatever is highlighted by the most people is low-hanging fruit. In other words, it's flashy and doesn't require much thought. It requires the absolute minimum amount of thought and reflection. That's why it's the most highlighted. So something to think about. I'm not saying that if uh, you you highlight something that 20,000 other people have highlighted, that you've done something wrong or that there's something wrong about the passage. I'm just saying that it, it doesn't, it's not of true value. It doesn't offer true insight because if it did, it wouldn't be highlighted by 20,000 people. That's just the way the world works that we live in. I'll never forget years ago when the Mummy movies with Brendan Fraser were out. People today still love those movies and talk about them like they are just the best movies of all time. I, I, what can I say? Um, there was a, there was one of them had The Rock, uh, Dwayne Johnson in it. The CGI was so bad it looked like something out of an Atari, and I thought, what 
what is this that I'm watching? This is terrible. This is terrible. But it made a billion dollars, didn't it? So I'm not saying my tastes are better than everybody else's tastes in the entire world. In fact, there is something to be said for just relaxing and just enjoying some pop pop entertainment. Um, I'll never forget also that uh, with my ex-wife, Diana, uh, I was very critical of her sitting down and watching, um, what's this old show, uh, America, America's, not America's Got Talent, uh, American Idol. I, but I was applying that principle. I surely was. Two kajillion billion people are watching this show. Then it's something I want to avoid. There's value to be found elsewhere. Now, I did find value in America's American Idol. I found value in the time I got to spend with my ex-wife watching it and just relaxing and just not being a, a stiff and just having fun with pop, pop entertainment. But as far as value for your, you know, really profound value and insight into life, the nature of it, the nature, the things that have value in life, did I find that in American Idol? No, of course I didn't find that. Not in American Idol. Not in any of the things they were doing. Not in all the fakeness of it. Um, the enjoyment was sitting down with my wife and having some good quality time with my wife. Recreation. 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 You know, sitting down, not worrying about taxes, not worrying about work, not worrying about all these things, and just you just not worrying. That was the that was the value there. But as far as profound insights into life and those sorts of things, no, I didn't find it in American Idol. So, next time you're reading a book and you're tempted to highlight something that's been highlighted by 55,000 people, say to yourself, that's low-hanging fruit. It's flashy. It's easy. There, I'm going to search a little bit harder. I'm going to think a little bit harder. I'm going to find something of value within this book uh, that others have overlooked. It won't be highlighted, I, I promise. All right. TheLastSymptom.com. That's my website full of free and paid resources. Lots of free resources. You're taking advantage of one of them right now. This show that I've been doing now for... Um, I'm in the fifth year of it. It's the paid resources, though, that allow me to continue this work along with voluntary donations. So go run over there to thelastsymptom.com and take a look at some of those paid resources. One of them, the most important, is uh, the Last Symptom Fundamentals course. It's a two-week intensive pre-recorded course. It's kind of like sitting down and taking a, an online college course with PowerPoint presentation and all that. It is intended for anybody, anybody with an emotional disorder or anybody who is involved in any way with somebody who has an emotional disorder. Oh, you're just friends. You're just friends with somebody who has an emotional disorder. 
you should be taking it. The last symptom, .locals.com. That's our uh, online community, private community. We've got 60 plus brand new members over there, closing in on 900 uh, members on that online community. And we're active every day. You should join us. Another way to join us, other than going to thelastsymptom.locals.com in your browser, is to download the Locals, L-O-C-A-L-S, dot com app from the App Store and searching for The Last Symptom by Brian Barnett. It is disappointing to me that so many folks that I come across or who come across my work overemphasize the importance of the specific emotional disorder that one is dealing with. So they say, well, I don't have borderline personality disorder. I ha- my life is in ruins. I'm an emotional wreck. I can't figure it out. I don't know what's going on. I go from therapist to therapist. I don't know what's going on. Oh, what's this last sentence? Okay, that's, that's for people with borderline personality disorder. That doesn't apply to me. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? My work benefits anybody with an emotional disorder. There's only two things that you have to ask yourself when considering whether or not the last symptom could be beneficial for you. You know what those two things are? Here's the two things. Am I dealing with something that is emotional in nature or am I dealing with a malfunctioning brain? That's it. Those are the two questions, the only two questions that are relevant. Do, do I have narcissistic personality disorder? Am I bipolar? Who cares? You're dealing with emotional issues. You should be fully invested in the last symptom. Emotional disorders do not involve a malfunctioning brain, contrary to what the professional community will tell you. Anybody falling into the emotional category, that is to say they're not insane, their brains are not malfunctioning, should be here. They should be here. They should be taking advantage of these things. If they're not, they're shooting them their own selves in the foot. And I'll give you a real-life example. Somebody the other day had the nerve to send me an email saying that she had purchased the Last Symptom Fundamentals course after a lifetime of BPD. I had offered her the course for free. Yes, because when she reached out to me, she seemed to be in terrible distress. I assumed that um, I, I wanted to help her. So I offered it to her for free. Didn't take me up on it. A month or so passed. Uh, went off. She did her thing. There were, there were rather more important things. Right? Uh, for her. Comes back. I really like to take this course. Well, you wasted my time the first time. I'm not going to engage with you the next time. Keeps at it, keeps at it, keeps at it. Finally purchases purchases the Last Symptom Fundamentals course, um, which I was 
going to offer to her for free. I might be getting some of the specifics of the details mixed up here, but forgive me. I'm going by memory. But the, basically what I'm telling you is exactly the way this thing played out. So she uh, purchases the Last Symptom Fundamentals course, writes me back a few weeks later, says, I went and saw somebody else. She says, I don't have borderline personality disorder. I got this other thing. So could I get a refund? The answer was no. <laughs> the answer was no. She made her choice. But I, at the same time, I was incredibly offended and saddened by that email. I'll tell you why. The way to describe it is this. It would be as if I were digging all day long in the hot sun for a treasure. I had a treasure map. There's the X on the map. I'm digging right in that spot. I, there's a treasure there and I'm digging, I'm digging, I put in work all day long. I kill myself to put in all that work and get down so deep and about, oh, five o'clock in the afternoon, I look around. I take a break from digging. I look around and I see some hula hula girls over there in the distance drinking coconut drinks and I see the beautiful ocean splashing oh boy it looks so inviting and I go boy I sure would like to be swimming in that ocean and flirting with those hula hula girls yeah I think I'll do that and I climb out of this this hole that I have dug to run off and splash around in the ocean and go flirt around with the hula hula girls and the camera pans back to where I was digging and goes down and just two inches more I was about to hit the treasure chest the treasure was right there after I put in all that work after I dedicated myself to that objective two inches from the goal to get distracted like that and to run off and pointlessly splash in the ocean and flirt with some hula hula girls and miss out on that treasure chest. That is exactly what this woman did to herself. She did it to herself. She had the course. She was enrolled. She had the information there to take partake of. And then somebody says, you know, I think you've got an ingrown toenail rather than borderline personality disorder or whatever it was she told her. And she goes, okay, well then this, this treasure which I wanted access to so much just a few weeks ago now is worthless to me. It's worthless. Do you see how insulting that is? It's insulting, but at the same time it is tragic because I know that information could help her. I hope she changed her mind. I did not reply to her. I won't reply to her. She has used up all of my goodwill. Every time she reaches out to me, she wastes my time. 
This is an example of a woman who has a hatchet and she just keeps chopping her own toes off with it. It's very frustrating for me. And I have to remind myself constantly of the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. I have no responsibility over this lady. I have no rights over this lady. I have no authority over this lady. She is going to do whatever she does. But do you see the tragic nature of people getting in their own way? It saddens me. It saddens me. It's no different than my brother. I haven't talked to my brother in a few years, so it's probably less appropriate than it was for me to uh, continue bringing my brother up. But let's say any alcoholic all right, that you, you love, you care about, who you're watching destroy, like he's or her is watching destroy, you're watching them destroy their lives. And you are helpless. You, you know you're helpless. You've accepted that you're helpless. It still doesn't make it any easier, does it, to watch a person just get in their own way. And I did that. I got in my own way constantly. I remember I've told the story. Jumping up, getting ready to walk out on a guy who was who was helping me. He was giving me um, really valuable feedback about me. So he was telling me about myself, uh, reality truths about me that I was I didn't want to hear, I didn't want to see, I didn't want to. I, what I was most offended about was that he was not softening his approach to to it. So it'd be like, hey, does my breath stink? Yes, your breath does stink. It stinks very bad. How would you feel about that? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? You want the answer to be no, your breath doesn't stink. Now, somebody who does not really care about you would say, "No, you said you're you're fine. You're fine. You, you your breath smells fine." Let's go on out to the pubs and the taverns and the dance clubs. You get out there and they're like, ah, the women are all running from you. Right? That's that's not very nice. It's not very nice. It feels better, right, to be lied to, but it's not very nice for somebody who professes to care about you. To not give it to you straight, to not tell you the truth. You know, what which would you rather have? So here I was in this uh, this meeting with this guy, and here he was telling me things about myself directly like that. Like, yeah, your breath does stink. Mm-hmm. Your haircut is messed up. Your clothes are out of date. You, I do smell a little body odor coming from you. So how would you feel about that? You wouldn't like it. And I'm not saying a person has to like it. I'm saying a person has to be accepting of that sort of feedback in order to get better, right? All right. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to go brush my teeth. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to go get a better haircut. Thank you. I'm going to go shower, put on some deodorant. I appreciate it. I would have never known that my breath stank or that my hair looked like that, or that my clothes, or that I was being perceived that way, 
without this invaluable feedback that you're giving me. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. So that's the sort of thing we're talking about here. Um, it's, it's not pleasant, but it sure is helpful, isn't it? And that's the type of inf information and influence we need in our lives when we're unhealthy. Um, we don't need the person there who's going to say what we want to hear. We need the person who's going to say what they're truly observing. And that's what that guy did for me that day. He told me some things about myself. I was ready to hop up. I, I, I've even told folks that, and this is true, um, he had a picture on his wall. And I, in my imagination, I was thinking, I have knocked that blankety-blank picture off his wall. I'll punch the door, I'll, or I'll kick it open, and I'll just walk out of here, and I'll never come back. And then something inside of me said, if you do this, you, you're an idiot. You're cutting off. You're, you yourself are getting in your own way. You yourself are going to be the thing preventing yourself from any possibility of getting better. And that's when I sat down and I said that to him. Um, I, was, I, I looked demolished. I looked uh, defeated. I looked beaten. And I said to him, I don't know why, but I, I always, I'm always getting in my own way. And uh, he got up from the chair. He was sitting across from me. And he got up and he come over. He put his arm around me. He said, it's okay. It's okay. You're, you're on the right path now. But he needed for me to surrender in order for him to be able to do anything for me. This woman I'm telling you about is in that I know best mode. She's in that I got this under control mode. And she's just walked out the door. Knocked the picture off the wall, walked out the door with that treasure right there in her grasp she herself is getting in her own way it's absolute lunacy she's apparently passed up an incredible opportunity to understand and recover from her emotional disorder whatever that emotional disorder might be in a genuine way because why because from one day to the next, listen, on one day, she thought, the name of what I'm dealing with is this. And on the next day, somebody told her, no, the name of what you're dealing with is this. So she goes, oh, oh, okay. So this thing that was really valuable and could have helped me yesterday is no longer valuable and it can no longer help me. Do you see the lunacy of that? I deal with it all the time. Based on the name somebody's given her emotional disorder, the thinking changed from it can help me to there's no way that can help me because all this stuff I'm dealing with has a different name now. So it can't help me. Absolute lunacy. So <clears throat> I'm not directing my frustration at you. I'm just sharing it with you.
Somebody asked me recently, what do you do with people who can't discern opinions from non-subjective truths? What do I do with people who can't distinguish opinions, which are, which are entirely subjective, we talked about it in the last few episodes of the last season, from non-subjective truths. What's a non-subjective truth? Non-subjective truth is the sky is blue, I'm a man, 2 plus 2 is 4, ice is cold, fire's hot, and uh, carbohydrates, bread, will will give you a beer belly. So those are some non-subjective truths. What are some subjective truths? Uh, My favorite color is blue. Best movie of all time is uh, A River Runs Through It uh, by Robert Redford, starring a very young Brad Pitt. Uh, best book of all time is either The Frontiersman by Alec, uh, Alan Eckert or Shantaram uh, by Gregory David Roberts or Dandelion Wine by Ray Bradbury. Those are subjective. You know, often scientists will say, "Well, the fastest thing a go, uh, the fastest a thing can go, is the speed of light." Well, that's not true, is it? We used to believe that was a a non-subjective truth, but now we know it's a subjective truth because the universe is expanding, and the universe itself, the fabric of the universe, is expanding faster than the speed of light. So, clearly, (laughs) the fastest a thing being able to go being the speed of light is not true. If there's a loophole, right? And, And that exists. So, anyway, you got an idea. Subjective truth, non subjective truth. You get into a conversation with somebody about politics or about any of these sorts of things, um, favorite movies of all time I've told you about seeing these conversations on the internet guys and girls getting real bent out of shape over the fact that you you they can't seem to get you to see why the Batman is the best movie of all time buddy if it's your favorite movie of all time fine I can accept that that it's the best movie of all time using any metric any measure I can't get behind that you're you're trying to take something that is subjective relative and put it into a non-subjective frame of reference that don't work that don't work so I'm sure that the lady who asked me this question about how do you have a conversation with these sorts of people was feeling a lot of frustration you know in today's world uh, there are various political notions, political ideologies, and stuff like that. I've got mine, which has nothing to do, by the way, with earthly political notions. Uh, I looked at Jesus Christ, <laughs> not to be preachy and come across uh, goofy as like some kind of fanatic or anything, but I do look to Jesus Christ and God's kingdom as being the things, the true solution 
to all of mankind's problems. I, I look at it as, a, as being a real government, just as real as the United States, the UK, China, any other government. It's a real government. It just hasn't taken control over the earth yet. So I don't vote. I don't um, endorse political candidates. Um, I try to stay as neutral as possible. Of course, I'm a imperfect human being. And so, you know, when, when I see injustices going on, my, my emotions get riled up. And, and there is that temptation to say, hey, that, you know, look what they're doing, look what they're doing. But um, I, I work very, very hard to maintain my neutrality in political issues. And, but, you know, even though I am politically neutral, uh, I still get into political conversations, uh, political ideology conversations with some of my friends. Some of them think like I do. Some of them look at the world and think like I do. Others don't. And I, I consider both... I have best friends on both sides of that spectrum. And it's good for me. I've considered it very good for me. First of all, it allows me to exercise my neutrality. It allows me to, to recognize when my emotions are pushing me to support some earthly political group or political candidate or something and to, and to pull myself back and go, no, no, listen, they, it doesn't matter which side they're on. They can't answer the important questions. They can't solve the important problems. You know, like, um, let me ask you this. Is, uh, is Joe Biden, which between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, uh, which one of those two are going to eliminate death and bring all the dead people that you're missing back to life? Which one of those two, Joe Biden or, or Donald Trump? Neither one, right? Neither one. Um, which one is going to eliminate hunger across the globe? Which one, Joe Biden or Donald Trump? Neither one, right? Which one is going to make food just so abundant and eliminate all the government and the politics that are getting in the way of people receiving this food? Is it going to be Joe Biden or Donald Trump? Neither one, right? Neither one. So I don't put my hope in Joe Biden or Donald Trump. <laughs> I put my hope in Jesus Christ. And again, I, I understand that if you're not a religious person, that sounds uh, very fanatical and everything. And you, or Some of you might be rolling your eyes and saying, well, this guy's crazy. You're welcome to do that. <laughs> you're welcome to do that. I am comfortable with my my certainties in life. But anyway, the whole point of this discussion is that I'm just a person. So when I look at policy on the earth now, forget about my beliefs in the future and about the government that will come and replace these governments. Uh, when I look at policy, do I see injustices? Do I see, well, I think it should be done this way. And I think it should be done that way. Yes, of course. Of course. I'm, I'm just a person. 
and um, and I'm living right now. So I have my opinions, and I get into these conversations with my buddies, and I've brought up old Jeffrey many times because he's one of my best friends. We've been f- best friends for a long, long time. We don't agree on anything. So when I look at a situation, I say, well, Jeffrey, clearly the answer you know the the proper way to approach this if we're just talking about a human approach to things is this he doesn't agree with me doesn't agree with me at all he says nope it's, it's got to be done like this now i remember we, uh last summer uh we went on a camping trip to uh ohio pile pennsylvania yeah ohio pile pennsylvania it, this was not a backpacking trip this was just a um, a camping trip so we were at a campsite there was a bunch of other families around it was very mild and restrained I reckon to, uh, cor- com- compared to the things we usually do but we had other people with us and we had some kids so that's what we were doing we were in Ohio Pile, Pennsylvania and he and I we got around the fire everybody else was asleep and we got to talking man I'm telling you what I felt my emotions like are firing up um, what were we talking about? We were talking about inherent rights, right? So we're butting heads on this topic, and I'm getting pretty spirited. He's getting pretty spirited. That was a clue for me. The fact that you know me recognizing my my emotions are getting really riled up here. So what am I doing wrong? You know, um, anytime your emotions are getting really riled up, you, you should ask yourself that. What am I doing wrong? I, I always think about working on like an engine. The, the thing about working on an engine is that if you do it right, things go smoothly, right? The, the bolt goes in, the nut goes in, the piece goes into place. The only time you get frustrated is is that you're doing it wrong. You're not trying to get the piece in there right. It's not lined up. The bolt is not lined up. You don't have enough light. Uh, these are all the things that say to me, you're doing it wrong. Because if you were doing it right, you wouldn't be feeling this frustration. So it always stops me. Uh, Nowadays, now it, it never used to. It does nowadays. Anytime I'm doing anything, I can be doing a physical project. I can be having a conversation with somebody. I can be trying to write something. I can be trying to record something. In in every case in life, if I find myself very frustrated, like, why is this so hard? I stop myself. I recognize what I'm feeling, first of all. And boy, man, I'm getting a real hair in my biscuit here. Why? Why am I getting such a hair in my biscuit? Well, because you're doing it wrong, Barnett. And I remember that night having a conversation with old Jeffrey talking about inherent rights. I said to myself, I was I felt that that frustration like a piece is not going into place the way it should and I stopped myself I said what what am I doing wrong 
what am I doing? Now, I didn't say this out loud because we're, remember, I'm sitting there next to a fire with him. That would have pretty sound, sounded pretty weird to him. But in my head, I, I remember just stopping. I stopped, I, okay, just, just, give me a second. I let him talk for a little bit, but I was really in my head, and I was thinking, what are you doing wrong? And I said to myself, there has to be a misunderstanding here. There has to be a disconnect. Because imagine I'm having a conversation with you, and I say, um, boy, pork chops sure are delicious. Boy, I love pork chops. They've got that nice, uh, like moist, delicious taste to them. And somebody says, no, no, they don't. They taste like cotton candy. Pork chops taste like cotton candy. And I go, oh, uh, no, I got a better example. <laughs> yeah. Come up with a better example off the top of my head. And this is a true example. This is when I was in Philadelphia. I was always ordering veal. Veal. Yeah, that's a perfect example. So, my ex-wife Diane and I, every time we go to like a, any restaurant, I was craving veal, like the veal I was used to growing up. Where I grew, grew up, uh, we have these veal sandwiches. Big old piece of veal, about like that big, on a on just like a regular hamburger bun with uh, ketchup, mustard, pickles, whatever you want to put on there. But you've got the bread here and then the the veal comes way outside the the hamburger bun. So you actually have to eat around it before you can even get to the bread and everything. And so we we call that veal. And I got to Philly Everywhere we went, I'd order this veal, and I'd get this slop, like this this sloppy, tender, nasty meat. I, oh, it was terrible. Terrible. Hated it. I, what is this? This is not the veal. This is not veal. And, of course, my ex-wife, she didn't know. <laughs> she didn't know what was wrong or what, how to help me or anything like that. No, this is not veal. I did that. I mean, I was up there for 12, 12 years in Philly. And uh, every time I'd see veal on the menu, I'd order it, and it was not veal. Now, what is wrong with these people? Well, there's a veal that the rest of the world knows. They call it veal, and that is uh, like tender calf. So, like, they take tender calf meat... And it's, it's actually kind of inhumane, in my opinion, if I had known that that's how the world's veal was made, I wouldn't have kept ordering it. But I was thinking it was like the veal from back home. So most people know veal as like tenderized calf. And they treat the calves very inhumane to get the meat like that. And it's considered kind of a delicacy. That's not the way it's done back home. The way it's done back home in Appalachia is it's fried pork. They take pork and they fry it like this thin pork uh, meat, and they fry it and they put that on a on a bun. We call that veal. 
So there's a perfect example of where my frustration, I should have said, why? Why every time I order veal, I don't get what I'm after? I was really craving the veal that I was used to back home. You see, the frustration should have been an indication to me. You're doing it wrong. Something's wrong. There's something off. And that should have said, and that should have caused me to analyze the thing to try to figure out what's off. Never did. Not until I moved back to this area. Did it click when I when I ordered a veal sandwich and I saw they had a sign? I reckon a lot of people complained for humane reasons, like, "Oh, you guys should be ashamed of yourselves serving veal." So they actually had to put up a sign that says, "Our veal, like the veal around here in Appalachia, is not this tenderized calf that you guys are used to." Our veal is something entirely different. It's pork. It's just fried pork. See, do you see how the, there was a perfectly reasonable explanation? If I had understood the two things uh, well, then there would have been no conflict. I wouldn't have kept ordering that stuff out there on the East Coast. And I would have understood why it's so hard for me to find what I'm looking for. Maybe I could have even found what I was looking for out there on the East Coast if I had just ordered fried pork, right? For, just give me fried pork on a bun with ketchup, mustard, and pickles, and that'll be close enough. I'll just close my eyes and pretend that I'm eating the veal from back home. So having this conversation with old Jeffrey, I did that same thing. I, getting frustrated like that, what, I said, in my head something's wrong something is off so I did the most brilliant thing in the entire world I started asking him questions because I wanted to understand Jeff you're saying that there are no inherent rights but you know like let's say that a right is God given you're not saying that that is an inherent right well, he says the Russian government can take that away from you. The uh, Chinese government take that away from you. Yep, I said, but that's not... We're talking about inherent rights. We're not talking about government-given rights. But just because a government puts you in prison for something you're doing doesn't mean that they can take away your right to do it. Well, it turned out that the whole conversation, it was just a misunderstanding. In his mind, he was thinking of things and more in a um, a legal sense. I was thinking of things separate from a legal sense in a universal sense, and that was creating all this miscommunication and misunderstanding. Really, because it was getting so frustrating for me to try to tell him, you know, for example. I have a right to believe however I believe about anything. Nobody can take that away from me. They can put me in jail. They can kill me. But they can't take the right away from me. His point of view was from a legal standing. What does the Supreme Court say? What do governments say? So even if a Supreme Court or the European Union says this, that a government in the end can prevent you from practicing that out on the street or uh, those sorts of things. So it really was. It really did come down to miscommunication. 
once I understood that, I just felt my frustration and anger just go, just right out of my body. All right, now that I know that you and I are talking about two entirely different things, I'm not going to argue with you about which conversation we should be having. I'm just going to say that now that I know the way you're thinking is entirely different from the the foundation or the the premise that I'm working from. All right, now I can listen to you and I can not and I can refrain from getting frustrated. You see that? I just let him talk and talk and talk. I don't agree with half of it, but I'm not frustrated either because I know that his mentality where he's at in his head when he's talking about these things is not anywhere near where I'm at in my own head. You see that? So it, the frustration is gone because I don't feel like he is now describing the sky as green when I know the sky is blue. That's why the frustration went away. Now, we're running out of time, so let me go ahead and get through this. There are several different things I do with people who are resistant to accepting opinion is just that. With people who are not who do not seem able or willing to view subjective things subjectively or to view non-subjective things non-subjectively. I do different things with different people depending on who they are. So to to begin with, and this is probably the most important rule, I never share the details of my advice unless it's specifically asked for. I was on Twitter the other day. Um, I just offered my opinion on Twitter. person comes back, tells me exactly what I should do, what I should think, what I should be, what I should do, everything. How do you think I like that? I don't like it. I don't like it. I didn't tell, I didn't tell him what he should think. I didn't tell him what she should, he should do. I didn't tell him how she, he should live what the things that he should believe all I did was just express my opinion and here he come back telling me exactly what I needed to do I don't like it I don't treat other people that way in this work I offer advice and I do those sorts of things because people come to me for it but even in this work I'm still just laying things out there people can take them they can do what they want with them or they can completely reject them and let me tell you lots of people do so anyway that's the number one thing I never offer my advice unless specifically asked for you'll save yourself tons of grief tons of frustration if you follow that pattern it's not that difficult to do you can get real good at it with practice different types of people casual friends with casual friends these are not my best friends these are just people I bump into we get into a conversation here's what I do I plant seeds of curiosity by asking questions but I don't push any resistance I sense from them is my cue to stop or change the subject so by asking questions I can say okay so what you just said seems like a a pretty broad statement would you think that that applies to a person who um, does this or that you see the question is designed to plant a seed of doubt in their mind but I don't push 
I let them answer the question for themselves. With strangers, total strangers, I encounter out in the world. My mechanic, my plumber, lady at the store. I just observe non-judgmentally. That's it. I don't offer anything. They talk, I listen, I analyze. That's all I do. Non-judgmentally. In other words, I'm not smarter than you, I'm not better than you. I'm curious though. I'm curious about what you think about that. And then kind of when I drive off, I'm thinking, wonder how they arrived at that at that conclusion about things. Well, I've got my theories, but I don't push, I don't offer. With my closest friends, with like uh, old Jeffrey I was just telling you about, I participate in conversations that are more challenging, as I just illustrated. We get into these discussions around a fire, especially if there's a little bit of bourbon going down the hatch, and and I'll, I will allow that, but I only allow it for about 5 to 10 minutes, maybe 15, 20 minutes. That conversation we were having where I was starting to get real frustrated, and my, I felt my emotions going up and everything, I was on the verge of ending that conversation, truly. It had been going on for about 10, 15 minutes. Uh, we were going round and around on that merry-go-round I've often talked about. I said, There's, this is going nowhere. This is going nowhere. This conversation really needs to end. But then I had that question in my mind, like, what is the disconnect? There's got to be something here. We're not meeting in the middle. Like, we're not talking about the same thing. Something is off here. So I explored that a little bit. That solved that problem. If it had not solved it, I would have changed the subject. We would have gone on to other topics. Um, to express my own beliefs, opinions, frustrations, one thing I regularly do is I articulate them on the notes app on my phone. Yes. So if I have a very strong complaint and I feel like I've got a very strong argument for that complaint, a very impenetrable argument for that complaint, I will articulate it out in writing on my phone. Writing, as I heard somebody say recently, is formalized thought. That means that it takes it from the ether, it solidifies it, right? So you have an argument. You think that your points are very valid and strong and concrete. But when you put it in writing, it formalizes it. It puts that to the test. Do you have a good argument? Well, let's see. Can you put it into formalized thought? That is writing. So doing this gives me the satisfaction to say what I want to say to who? To me. So I get to say what I want. I get to express myself. I get to express it to myself. And who am I? I am a willing recipient of those thoughts and that, that opinion. They're not. People outside of me are not. They haven't asked for it. They're not looking for it. They haven't asked for my opinion. I don't offer it to them. But I still get to express myself to myself. And so this also helps me to formulize my arguments for any possible future time when, guess what? Somebody says, hey, what's your opinion about this? Boom, floodgates are open, right? All bets are off. I get to 
you've asked me, you've invited me, I get to give you my argument and my presentation and everything I think about this now. Uh, so, if I have put this in the form, this these thoughts into formalized thought, into writing, then I've had a chance to really sit down and to flush out my argument to see uh, exactly uh, do I know what I'm talking about? Does this make sense? Why does it make sense? And all these things. Had a lot more to talk about tonight. As always, get carried away. It's just it's impossible. I had I had pages more that I wanted to share with you folks. And I won't get to do it. Um, I wanted to tell you a story. I'll tell you a story next week about um, Jordan, my my best friend who was killed in that car accident. Uh, an experience with his brother. Really fascinating story. You won't want to miss it. Uh, it's very personal and intimate. Um, happened while I was living in Columbus, Ohio. Years and years ago. But it was... I mean, it, it could be made into a movie. I'll tell you about that next week. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me here this week. I appreciate it. I hope that you've enjoyed this show. Take care of yourselves. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.